Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of meaningful conversations and convener of community. Whether you are or know someone who is battling multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, scleroderma, lupus, or any of the 24 autoimmune diseases that HSCT can halt, or are simply inspired by transformational journeys, you are in the right place. As we continue to grow the HSCT warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, Recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression. Connect through our shared experiences and advocate for an inclusive society. We are glad you've joined us. So let me just say thank you so much for participating in the podcast. Bonnie, it's exciting to talk with you. Well, I am so excited to be here. I know that you're connected to a great group of people where you live in Rootstown, Ohio, and I'm curious to know more about your story, but let's start with how you first came to find out about HSCT. Well, I was diagnosed in late 2016, finally, after many years of being misdiagnosed, um, even with what I would consider severe relapses because of the way that they presented. I was misdiagnosed with just normal vertigo and really not getting to the right physician to send me for an MRI. But when that finally occurred in late 2016, it was because I also had optic neuritis, double vision and blurred vision in one eye, which that was alarming enough, I guess, for the healthcare industry to then send me for an MRI. Sure. Um, and I was initially told that I would be fine find the right medication, you'll be okay. Navigating through the medication part of things was really difficult for me because I just was not one to ever be ill. It would take an act of, you know, the universe making me go to the doctor. I would have to be on death's door before I would go previously mm. and previous to MS. Um, so that whole navigation put me with asking my doctor's opinion and him saying that Jelenia would be the right medication for me. And I did not react well. Um, some people do fine on Jelenia, and then there's others that do not. Right. And it was giving me um, heart issues, irregular ventricular contraction, um, rapid heart rate, and high and low blood pressure spikes. And... You know, I did not have the support of that neurologist, but he was the one that had diagnosed me. You know, he at one point had told me that he thought it was maybe I needed to see a therapist or. Oh, no. I knew that it was the medication. Sure. Yeah, you Never have that feeling. So once I went off the medication, I was taken off abruptly instead of weaned off of it, like how I started. Even asking him, hey, should I come off of this cold turkey? He told me I would be fine. And my progression started rapidly increasing. And I felt like I was having more symptoms. I was treated for a second relapse um, during that time period. So I had two pretty significant relapses within 
eight months. And that second relapse just, um, I had things that have still not come totally back. So it, it impacted my being able to function, drive. Um, my vertigo was so severe that I could not stay balanced. Um, I had a pretty significant lesion in the cerebellum that caused me to have to hold on to someone or something. I would furniture surf at home um, just so I wouldn't fall. But I did keep falling. And it was one fall down the steps that really impacted me and had had me remember that I had watched a video during one of my relapses previous where I was being treated with IV steroids and was just laying there, that I had watched a video um, of Anna. I believe you have a podcast of her that you interviewed. I do, yeah, yeah. And she was having her uh, first, or her only, she was having her HSCT journal that she chronicled. And I remembered that I had watched that, thinking at the time that she was crazy. (laughs) You know, what was she doing? Who would give themselves, you know, chemo? Right, yeah. Um, But it it made me want to find out how she was doing now. Mm. Maybe she was doing better. Could it be that she was having more symptoms like me or had progression even with meds? And so I reached out to her that day. And I sent her a message, and I told her that we lived close to each other, and could we talk more and get together? And so we did. And she pointed me in the direction of the Facebook groups. She helped me have the courage to find out where to apply or not. I I don't consider applying, but sending your medical records to Chicago under Dr. Burt. And I also sent them at the time to Mexico and Russia. And I started researching right then, and I started reaching out to other individuals that had had it done. And that was how I first learned of HSCT. Well, it's great that you at least found such a resource in Anna and that she lived so near to you. That's right. Um, She was the first person, and then um, being on the Facebook groups, Like, those groups are invaluable. You learn more just from the people that have had HSCT done than you do from any other arena, I think. And I went on to the main HSCT site and asked if there was anyone that had heard of Ritztown, Ohio. I was trying to find people that were close to me that we could talk and maybe get together. And I had um, someone else that responded, and it's Kevin. Keplinger that you also right right yeah and he responded and said hey I had this done and I went to Singapore and um in my 60s and I live 25 minutes away from you wow so we started talking and it was through that conversation that we realized that who his uh MS neurologist was was who I was currently seeing what a so small we had that world. Yeah. And um, he too, even though he had full myeloblative in Singapore and his journey is a little different, he said, definitely go and don't wait. And that, you know, your regret will be waiting. 
So through knowing Anna and Kevin, I met the other individuals that have also had this done just locally within half an hour, 45 minutes, there's five of us. Wow. That's just incredible that you have such a community of support so close. Yes. And, well, and that they helped you seal the deal, right? So did yes. you, did you um, feel like super confident going into it? Uh, I don't, you know, I, when, when you're first researching, you're really wanting, like, at least for me, I was really wanting confirmation that, you know, it wasn't going to be what you hear from the physician, that you're going to, you know, be worse or it's not going to work. Or I even had, you know, a doctor tell me that I was going to come back in a body bag. Yikes. I have three children. You know, my oldest is 18 and my youngest is 10 and then a 15-year-old in the middle. So at the time, they were even younger. And I just did not want to do anything that would impact me not being here now, you know. Sure. But it was kind of the now that I was more concerned about and the treatment and the protocol. I wasn't really an, a researcher per se, but I did always try to at least know. But at the time, I really did have more faith in the medical staff until my journey progressed and knowing, you know, you have a really difficult time finding physicians that are going to tell you to get HSCT done. Absolutely. So that part of it was difficult. And I did not tell my family what I was doing until I heard back from Chicago first. In Chicago, um, Northwestern University scheduled me for a visit. They wanted to see me, and that was in February of last year. It's actually next week is a year to the to the time frame. Of How about that? And so I was evaluated by Dr. Burt and Dr. B, Dr. Balabanav, I think. Um, you know, it's, it's hard because on paper it looked like I had just been newly diagnosed. So originally Dr. Burt thought, hey, you, you know, you haven't had this as long as what I need for this clinical trial. You know, you haven't, you're not, a, you're not at the point where I would think that this is going to benefit you. Right, Dr. Right. Balabanov did disagree and kind of fought for me a little bit and realized that I had had this for a, a very long time just due to him being able to see um, what they consider are Dawson's fingers on the MRI, which um, shows there's been axonal nerve damage. Oh, right, right. That, that can't be fixed. And black holes, which is where the tissue is actually gone. So it does take time for that to happen. And so just through the timeline, I've probably had MS at a, at a very minimum 15 to 20 years. Mm. So, of course... You know, secondary progressive came into play. Had I transitioned? Could I, you know, have already transitioned over? Sure. Well, and not meeting those strict protocol guidelines, right. it's tough to so, hear that. So I was not denied. I was not fully denied. I was, Dr. Burt asked me to wait. And I think some of that was timing. It was right when the second phase trial was ending and the third phase hadn't gone. Um, 
but my progression was happening and I was having things happen so rapid that I really did not want to wait. And I received a date from Mexico next and then that started my research with Dr. Ruiz and the clinic, um, clinical Ruiz, and his qualifications are amazing. Sure. And being a Mayo Clinic alumnus, he's number 42 of the top 50 physicians to ever come out of the Mayo Clinic. So he's labeled as one of the top 50 doctors in the world. Right. He's on the American Society for Bone and, or Blood and Bone Transplantation. That's huge. Right. He's a phenomenal resource. You know, he is, um, he is one of the authorities on stem cell transplantation. Indeed. So once I realized that, I was given a date, and we started fundraising and trying to get the money together to go to Mexico. So that's just an interesting story and timeline of how you first came to find out and then also just came to settle into heading to Mexico. Yes. And, you know, it's really, really difficult. You know, if you're a real person like me, you know, I even though people say, well, you can't care what other people think, I, I did. You know, so, well, yeah, when you have to fundraise and convince people, I need to go to Mexico, you know, I'm sure that was a tough sell. Well, it's something, just being a more private person, it was something that I had never really had to do. You know, put ourselves out there and my family, you know, my kids were in school, you know, so they were put on the public spotlight too, right. which was difficult. And there were some people that, just a few, but those individuals that for whatever their reasons were didn't agree with me going, you know, it seemed like those individuals made that known. And most of the time it was just because they have been misinformed with the information that they've heard. You know, they thought it was stem cell therapy um, where I was going to go and get just stem cells injected into a body part. So I felt like I was constantly defending my decision for for a while you know throughout that first phase of fundraising I finally came to the conclusion that you have to be your own health advocate you have to do what is right for you so my journey getting to clinical release and having the treatment done and the timing my sister was able to go and be my cure for two weeks because she was She's a teacher, and she had time off. That's amazing. Um, My kids were not in school at the time. It, you know, my husband was able to also come for the last two weeks, and it worked out. And my care at Clinical Ruiz was the best care I've ever had. Yeah, tell us about even your most memorable experience while you were there. Um. I, I I had so many great experiences, you know, meeting all of the other individuals. There was 16 of us total plus their care. So getting to meet and hear their journeys, you know, to know why they decided to have this done. And, you know, seeing that, you know, there are people, they're still getting HSCT done and know they may not get all of their functional use back. But if you talk to them, they're going to tell you 
it was still the best decision because they've had other things that have gotten better. I hit the bonus round and had some things that improved right away. Wonderful. And my most memorable was waking up after my second day of chemo. I think it was my second day. I'm going to say it was pretty quick. And laying there and doing what most people take for granted, what I used to take for granted, and just laying there and I was thinking about something and planning, and it dawned on me, oh, my goodness. I don't have that dome brain fog. Mm. You know, it's, it's really difficult to explain to someone what MS brain fog is like, especially if you have it where that's one of your most severe symptoms that you never have clarity. Right. Um, You just can't explain it unless you have it. And that was gone. And I, it it almost scared me. (laughs) I didn't say anything to anyone right away because I was, I thought that might jinx me. and But you noticed the difference. Yes. And I haven't had that brain fog come back. Wonderful. Chemo-related chemo fog. Sure. But it's not the same. And so I'm not walking around with that feeling of, I tried to explain it to people by telling them it was like I was walking around in a fog, like in a mist, always, you know, to where it was like always there. But I don't have that. Which is amazing. It was amazing for me. If I had just had that, it would have been worth it for me. Mm. Yeah, brain fog can be a tough one to deal with. Yes. Especially when it's um, chronic and ongoing. Yes. And never ceasing. Um, And I was able to take my first hot shower. Well, it wasn't even hot because I still don't do hot, hot. But I was able to take a warm shower that my heat intolerance was so severe that I know people thought that I was embellishing, but it was like an out-of-body experience sometimes. You know, if I would get too overheated, I couldn't even take a warm shower because it would literally make me collapse Mm. to where I was ready to pass out. Yikes. Um, And I couldn't stand, and I would have to lie down. You know, it affected me even being able to cook, um, be outside. We have a pool. I wasn't able to be outside with my children or be at their sports events. Um, it, It impacts daily life. Absolutely. And that was also something that improved. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. So you are now, what, sick a little over six months out? Nope, I am seven months on the 10th. I was seven months post-transplant. And for the most part, I'm doing good. Yeah, how is recovery going? Yeah, I I think for me, the hardest part of recovery has not been the physical part, but it was the mental and emotional part Sure. Um, that you go through. I think even if somebody tried to tell you, you still wouldn't get it. It's not something you expect going in, right? right? Or at least for me, I was very dis- more distracted by the physical symptoms, not thinking yeah. about all of the mental symptoms that maybe I didn't even recognize. Exactly. So, you know, some of the things that you can have just with, you know, post-chemo for women having the menopause or instant menopause, that was something that happened with me. And I was not prepared for it, even though I knew that that was probably going to happen due to my age and being, you know, early 40s, that it could 
very well happen. I still was not prepared for that hormonal influx and what it would do to me. Sure. And that impacted everyone, daily life. You know, my coping mechanisms, what I had always done, they weren't working. So I had to try to find out what was going to help me. That's the hardest part. Like, I'm hoping that throughout this journey that, and some of the people that we um, interact with as an HSCT family, that we can have some resources for going forward, you know, that we can put something together. There's nothing. You just kind of, they, okay, you're home. Right. Okay. Good luck. Follow these guidelines for six months and good luck. Yeah. And that part was hard. Sure. People think you're going to come home and you're good, you know, almost like you're cured. Mm. And so I was constantly trying to remind my people, hey, it doesn't work like that. Right. that, That was the hardest part. So now I'm navigating towards the things that I found that have worked. I started yoga and meditation. Meditation has really helped me. Mm. Um, just that piece of it and having that, that time. I do that 20 minutes twice a day. Um, I actually went and took some classes for it. Wonderful. <laughs> everybody thought I was desperate to find, okay, what's going to help me so that if I'm not well, I, I was seeing that me not being well mentally was impacting my family even more than when I wasn't well physically. Sure. So I'm as far as the physical part of it, I am doing so much better. Um, I have to pace myself. You know, just me taking care of my family is enough. Focusing on recovery, you know, kind of have to put my foot down about going places and doing things, especially with it being flu and cold seasons making sound choices that aren't going to impact things. So in terms of like the hormone influx, are you taking any supplements? Have you done testing to look at your estrogen and testosterone levels or thyroid levels? And, um, I, the thyroid, I just had that checked actually last week. And as far as they can see, the thyroid is still working. That's good. Everything is in within normal limits. Good. I was and I'm still in what they would consider active menopause. Sure. Um, I have not gone on hormone replacement therapy medication, but I have started, let's trial and error, um, more homeopathic over-the-counter medications that assist with hot flashes. I did start on a low-dose antidepressant, which... I think it's helped everything across the board, but it has helped with neuropathy that you can have from the chemo, and it has also helped with hot flashes. And I think from an emotional well-being with some of the depression that you have from your hormonal influx levels being crazy, that it's helped with that too. Wonderful. As far as any other medications, I mean, everything else that I'm doing is homeopathic vitamins. I do young living oils that I I really didn't think that stuff like that made a difference in life before this. But all of those little things, when you combine everything together, they're working for me. That's wonderful. Once I find something, I just keep going. 
with that. Sure, sure. Well, so, until it stops working, right? Or until you yeah. notice something else that needs support. Right. And I did um, change my diet. You know, I, once I started researching and seeing some of the things that can be in what we eat, and I revamped how I was eating. And then I started feeling better with my uh, dietary choices, too. So all of that is enough, that just that right there. And recovery and trying to take care of my family, it keeps me really busy. Sure. Yeah, you're seven months. Sounds like you're right. doing a fantastic job at getting back to things um, at yes. seven months. Right. Let's see. The only thing that I've had to be careful of, my white blood cell count was a little lower this time. So I know that that's why um, I had been more tired. And except for the being tired, you wouldn't, like, I wouldn't have known. So the roller coaster is real. You know, and you have to really watch for the things that change that first year so that you're with a physician, if you can be, that can monitor things. My PCP, GP, she's wonderful. She's really the only doctor that I'm seeing. And she monitors everything. And if there would be a need for me to see a specialist, then we would at that point. Sure. Hopefully you don't have that need come up. Right. Isn't it nice to not be on other drugs? Oh, it's so nice because most of those medications did not help. Sure. <laughs> I swear that my MS medications made my MS worse. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And, you know, they do work for some people. Yes, and they do. And I, that's, that's why you have to be your own advocate with, with every piece of this. You know, I'm, I'm seeing... You know, as people reach out, because I made my journey public, too, and I created a Facebook page. My friend Anna and I, we've, because we're close, and, you know, she's wonderful, and I'm so glad that I met her. I've met some other great women that we have, like, a little group, and we reach out to people or reach back to people when they reach out to us. And you can reach out to people, but they, they still have to do it. You know, everyone has to be their own advocate here. Um, I think part of it is just getting the word out and people seeing that we're doing good. Mm, right. Doing well. Oh, well, that helps me even ask my next question of why was it important for you to participate in the podcast? To get that word out. I mean, they're, you know, the medical community, you know, not all doctors are, are that way, but quite a bit, you know, they're going to actively not support HSCT being done. And we all know the reasons behind that, but you get involved in a debate. It's usually not fruitful. You know, it, it really doesn't end anywhere. So I don't get involved in debates. I let just how I'm doing going forward, um, what I participate in, that it's all positive. You know, negative things are going to happen in life. Sure. But I try not to dwell on those negative things and try to find the positive side. Um, my journey is my journey, just like yours, and just like anyone else that chooses HSCT. And all those choices are personal to that person. So I think that that has been the key, just getting the word out 
and letting people see that, yes, this treatment is an option. And, you know, it should be an option. And the more individuals that kind of have that view that we're not going to debate, I'm not going to go to a doctor and debate with them. No. Look at me. I wouldn't be this way had I not had HSCT done. Sure. I wasn't. And that's how I've decided I'm going to do things from here on out. And let yourself speak for itself, right? Right. You know, you, when you're happy and, you know, you, you're making choices that are good, happy choices for yourself and your family and what's important, I think that shows more than, like, what you're saying. Well, yeah, when people can see it emanating right. from everything you're doing. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, the word, and the word is getting out. Um, just in my group that went to Pueblo, we talk all the time. We have a WhatsApp um, group, so we talk during the week. And just yesterday, there were individuals, you know, including myself, that we've actively, you know, spoken to people when they had questions. And you know, those people are now going to Mexico, you know, or. They went and they were evaluated at Northwestern and they're having the treatment done. And, you know, there's been individuals that have said, I followed your journey and I'm still progressing. So I've realized that I have nothing to lose. Mm, There are enough people that are doing okay that HSCT is not experimental. Right. So that has been my, my way of kind of getting through all the obstacles that come along with recovery and the roller coaster. Yeah. Kind of balance. Yeah. Keep my family, but be an advocate and not get wrapped up in the debating and whose protocol is better. Because I think all three facilities, Russia, Mexico, and Chicago, I think there's enough people that have had procedures there that what they show is shows more than just words. Absolutely. You know, that they're doing well. It's great that you and your cohort from Puebla have been, continue to stay in touch and, and even support others. Yes. And that was, you know, that was all part of it. Like I gained all these friendships and relationships all over the world. I could go to London. I could go to Canada. I can go, you know, other areas of the UK and I know that I would have a place to stay and all throughout the U.S. from the individuals that went and had HSCT done. And, you know, as I'm meeting people that went to Northwestern, you know, we're um, going there next week for Anna's two-year visit. We're making a little trip out of it. Nice. So Anna will be there for her two-year visit. And then there's another individual. Her name is Carrie. Um, she actually is going for her nine-year visit. Wow. So it will, and I'm just going along to get away. <laughs> so it'll be fun. You know, well, and being family, yeah. Yes, yes. I've gained positive, positive things from all of this. And it sounds like an international family. Yes. So how about a superpower that you gained from your experience with HSCT? Um, I definitely believe that my journey had divine intervention 
and um, thoughts that my both my parents that passed prior are looking down and kind of guiding me throughout the things that I choose and pointing me in that right direction. And I know that my superpower and what I believe and having that positivity now is something that has definitely helped me in my life. That's fantastic to walk away and be so intentional with it moving forward. Yeah. I'm sure it will help with further recovery. What could you offer as advice to anyone who might be considering HSCT? Um, do your own research. You know, that it's really easy to get wrapped up into the whole debate side of things and protocol and where do you go and which doctor is, you know, telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do and revaccinating versus not revaccinating, which is a whole nother story. Indeed. But to do your own research and to come to your own conclusion, because that is the really the only way that you're going to be able to make a, an informed decision. You know, hopefully you'll get to a physician in your area that will be HSCT friendly, but they still, most doctors still don't know anything right. about this. Right from MS and really don't know what to do if there's complications when you come home. That's what I, the advice that I give people is for them to do their own research, be their own health advocate, and to make their decisions. If you feel that medication is the way for you to go, then nobody should make that decision for you. You know, that eventually I think people will come to that deciding factor. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think it's the best way to feel good about yourself and your own decision moving forward is to be as informed as possible. Right. And I think that the more people after they have had this done, because I personally, and I do know that there's that small percentage of individuals where they do still progress, unfortunately, after having HSCT. But me personally, out of many, many, probably 30, 40 or more individuals that I reached out to from all over the world that have had HSCT done, that they couldn't all be wrong. There you go, right. I didn't have anyone say to me, I regret having this done. I kept hearing, your only regret will be not doing it sooner. Before I had permanent damage, before I was in a wheelchair, before, you know, I had such memory issues that those things are are there permanently. So I think everyone should try to get the word out so that people know and that hopefully the insurance companies will come around to where this is standard of care. Wouldn't it be wonderful? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, you know, one of my goals with this podcast is to just help continue spreading the word. Well, I think it's wonderful. And I think that the more people that say that they would be interviewed by you and your podcast, the more that it's going to get the word out and you know, it's going to bring positive light to having HSCT done. You know, and I think everyone has been really honest 
you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, I don't want to sugarcoat anything, right? Right. And, and it would be okay to interview somebody who is a non-responder because I right. think those stories are also worth hearing. Every story helps us shine a light on all the invisibilities associated with autoimmune disease, how unique we are in our experiences, right? Like you said, we're so different in our progression or how we deal with medication or how we even recover from HSCT. Everybody's so unique. We are snowflakes, HSCT snowflakes. Yes. And it, it truly is, you know, it's hard to even, you know, for the people that reach out and they want specific answers to all of their questions. You know, I try to explain to them that each journey is different, just like uh, having a mask. You know, that everybody's path can be a completely different path as far as what is their uh, progression and what problems they have. And some people don't have brain fog. They don't understand it. Um, Just like I wasn't completely wheelchair-bound and wouldn't have a frame of reference. So that part, it's, it's hard to explain to people you know, what they might go through. That's why I just tell people, research as much as you can. You know, at least you'll have, at least you'll know. Right. But no, this, this might not work. Well, and just the possibilities and that, yeah, we can't provide one answer or one outline for all the things that will exactly happen to anyone right. specific because it is so unique. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get some resources out there, though. And I think that will help some things too. Um, just, you know, I was, I was more panicked to try to find anything that would assist when I first came home, just because what I did previously wasn't working. That had I had some of those resources available, it would have made, you know, at least me trying certain things a little bit easier to know what to do. Sure. Like in terms of meditation and the finding the right mindset and knowing that depression is part of this. And, you know, especially if there were pre-existing mental illness conditions or um, struggles, you know, that that's all normal and part of the process. And it's not something crazy to reach out for help. Yes. And that's hard to know that, okay, no, this is all part of it. And yes, I might need to go on a low dose antidepressant, but it's going to help and doing whatever you can do to make this recovery process a little bit easier. And a positive um, experience. Be very helpful, I think. Yeah, very much so. That's going to take the community and the family, right, working together yes. to help illuminate these invisibilities and help people understand it's normal and okay and just part of the roller coaster and that as family, we're here for one another. Ooh, I'm curious. What are you grateful for that maybe is unspoken? Well, I am grateful every day for my community, um, for the individuals that just said, hey, we watched you progress. You know, they kind of went through my whole uh, three-year process of going with from no disability pretty much to a five, five point five and a half disability score. Wow. Um, you know, it's where I, I stopped being kind of visible that people were, you know, are you okay? What's happening? Um, that they stepped up and it was through, you know, their donations, my family's help. We did not know how to fundraise. 
so part of that, you know, we weren't prepared for me to not work. You know, I, my progression was so rapid that I couldn't work any longer. So through finances, you know, people did dinners for us and brought food, and I had help with my kids while both myself and Jason being gone when he was my carer. So mm. those are all things that people should definitely take into consideration too if they have a family that even if you go to Chicago you're still going to be gone sure you're still going to need support absolutely um, I wouldn't have been able to go even to Chicago or Russia uh, alone I know that some people do they are rock stars in my book <laughs> right. I definitely <laughs> had to have support and you know having my sister with me and my husband I those were the two people that I needed throughout this process. So I am grateful every day that I live in a community that, you know, stepped up and I had people just come up and give me money and put it in my hand that they really wanted me to be well. So, you know, my, my journey and being well and being visible it's all part of my being able to be at a place where I can thank people and show them how I'm doing now and say thank you so much. And I can't, may not ever be able to repay them monetarily, but mm. um, just my gratitude every day. Oh, yeah. Well, and by sharing your story with others, certainly you're helping yeah. to pay it forward. Because, you know, MS is just one of those autoimmune diseases that everybody always knows somebody that has it. So, you know, that can be annoying sometimes because somebody will say, oh, well, my cousin had it and they did this and they're, you know, they're doing well. And right. It can be a blessing and a curse. Indeed. Good people. for your cousin. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, me being well has really, you know, made an impact. Um, we try to go to any other fundraisers in the area. Uh, our friend Katie Hamansky. There was four of us that we were all able to go and be part of her last fundraiser. And that does make a difference. Huge difference. So, yeah. I'm, we are all trying to give back. That's a good part of the recovery, right? Yeah. A way to focus on the positive. Definitely. So thank you so much for participating in the conversation and sharing your story and being part of the positive. You are welcome. I was so happy to be here and so grateful that, too, that I was able to meet all of you. So, you know, all the HSCT vets before me have definitely made things easier for me as I recover. Absolutely. And we continue to help each other as we all move forward in recovery, right? Yes. It oh. really is a family. It really is. Never. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, it's, well, and it's great that you have such an international family as well, supporting you and um, oh, staying yeah. in touch with you. Well, we talk all the time about how we were just like, we want to go back, you know, playlist this magical place and um, they call it the city of angels. 
you know, we're all like, we have to go back for a reunion. And, you know, the people that hear that, they think we are absolutely crazy. <laughs> want to go back where you had chemo and, you know, Phil Grassum, Nupogen, and you were throwing up. And- no, no, not at all. Actually, I interviewed someone, um, Lita from, I think she's from North Carolina. I still have to re-listen to her episode and edit and everything, but she and her cohort from Puebla are planning, I think, in a year or two, maybe five years for their five-year anniversary. They're all planning to go on a cruise together. Oh, and I just had one of our group that wants to go back after a year, and we're like, ah, oh, <laughs> that's a little too soon. Like, I don't know. That might be too soon, but, you know, everybody... um we're very grateful. Everybody has their journey, as I said before, but our journey taking us to a place, you know, like Puebla, they have so much compassion there, mm. the humanitarian aspect and the respect that you get. You're treated like a VIP, I think, no matter who you are um, in Puebla. You know, it's not based on, you know, status or, or money you know, we were all treated the same, and my whole journey there, there wasn't anything that was not done. They really do have a seamless, like, six-star operation there. So that part of it, um, I didn't really have any expectations, but it far surpassed anything that I ever thought it would be. That's amazing. So it sounds like even your international community and family will continue to stay connected and support one another all through recovery. Yes, I think so. We we talk all the time, and we couldn't believe, like, this past week, you know, it was a little bit staggered within the week, but we were all seven months by Sunday. Mm. And, you know, we were all commenting on, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. It's really been seven months. It seems longer, but then it doesn't. And, you know, everybody is doing well from my group. Um, and they're doing things that they were never doing before. People are going on vacations. Uh, one of my one person in my group was skiing in, in Italy. Wow. In the U.K. Wow. Yeah. They are like, I don't even know if I would be able to ski. Oh, right. He's doing amazing. That's awesome. So so those are the positive things that I hope that people will, will hear and get from the podcast that, you know, there are individuals that are doing so good. Um, it's, it's worth researching. Absolutely. Thank you. So wonderful to talk with you and learn more about your story and your travels to Mexico, your extended family and community. It's just, it's been great connecting with you. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad that we have connected and um, that I can help in any way. Wonderful. Be sure to visit our website, hsctwarriorspodcast.com, where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and access the latest HSCT research and resources. Special thanks to musical genius Bill Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud 
iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Take a moment to leave a review because your feedback will help to develop even better episodes, and your ratings will help other people find the show. Tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well.